Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. Let's get into today's episode. Kia ora and welcome to episode 26 of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Zordos, who is a husband and father of one. He is a professor at the Florida Atlantic University, so another guest from the States, which is awesome to have um, you know, a few internationals in a row here, or at least last week our, our guest was living in America, although was a Kiwi. Um, Mike is also an author at Mass, which is the monthly applications in strength sport. I always forget what the end is, Mike. Can you tell me you if I'm wrong it. or right there? Okay, awesome. You nailed it. Um, yeah. And Mass is a research review, which essentially pulls together the sort of latest and greatest findings um, in the research literature and kind of summarizes those and breaks them down. So it's kind of a cool little um, easy way to digest some research, but make sure that you're keeping up to date if you do enjoy that geeking out about some of that kind of stuff, which I most definitely do. So Mike, how are you going? I'm doing great, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on. And, and as I just said before we were recording, we were chatting a little bit when you reached out and I saw the the nature of the podcast and uh, kind of what you wanted to discuss. Uh, it was really exciting to me. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I do love, talking about you know, training and exercise science and, and those sorts of things. But to have a little bit of a different chat today uh, was pretty cool. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. I, I do appreciate it. No, that's absolutely fine. It's going to be a pleasure to have you on, mate. I know that there's, um, even just from our brief discussion prior to this, we have plenty of um, interesting things we can discuss. And rather than jumping into the background, I want to jump straight into um, what is topical and timely for me, which is um, I have a half marathon this weekend. And I've just told you before we started that I have just signed up for a marathon and um, through the grapevine and uh, maybe through some other podcasts as well, I've heard that you've got a bit into endurance training lately. And um, for the guy, some of you might know, but um, Mike used to actually squat every single day up to a max effort squat. And so um, running a marathon is quite different to a single heavy effort every day. So can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of moved into endurance stuff and we can get back into some of that other stuff later but obviously for me this is kind of front of mind just because I've signed up to marathon so I thought hey let's discuss the marathon to start yeah sure yeah you know in, in this uh, we can come back to this but you know about a decade ago I, I went through a, a bout where I, I max squatted for roughly 150 days in a row and um, during the latter portion of that it was it was actually twice a day um, and so it was a, a you know an amazingly, an amazingly awesome slash miserable time uh, during that 150 days. So amazingly terrible, I guess. But uh, so recently, uh, over the past three years, and then this goes farther than that. So whenever you want to get into the history, we can then go back a little bit farther. But I'll just talk more about the current times. Mm -hmm. uh, for the past three years, I've been training, um, you know, as a distance runner, you know, for the marathon. And that came about, uh, the very long story short, and again, get back into this, just had a, a back injury that manifested for many, many years through powerlifting training and needed to make a change just, you know, really to, to for, for mostly for why we're here today is, you know, I remember one day specifically, I, I, I had an L5S1 herniation and uh, that just went on for years and years. One day specifically, uh, my son was very young and uh, I couldn't, I just couldn't go run around with him that day. Um, and 
training had just taken its toll. And, and I said, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, to be in that position where I have to tell him, no, he's very young. And so I made the decision to move on um, from, from lifting. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a way out. There wasn't a way to get better, to get the right treatment. Um, I had I'd done a bunch of those, but I, I did have a background in endurance training as well. And I was kind of ready to, to move on a little bit. So uh, I wrote a friend of mine who is um, a researcher uh, in exercise science. Uh, and uh, she is an accomplished endurance runner. And I asked if she would coach me. She sent me on a program and the next day in, in March, 2020, kind of actually weirdly coinciding with the, uh, when the pandemic started, um, I, I started just training as uh, a marathon runner for endurance training. I told her I wanted to focus on the marathon specifically. Uh, it's been a little over three years since I made that, mm. that switch. Uh, in that time, uh, I've competed, I've competed is a strong word, but I've run uh, uh, two marathons, uh, a third if you count the solo marathon that I did. Um, and then it's gone well. So the last one I did was in October. Um, I love doing it. You know, for me, it's really just having something that I, I love. I, you know, I don't know about you, but and I, and I want to hear, as I said, about about your kind of journey into this too. But I love training for something, no matter mm -hmm. what it is, and I love training as hard as I possibly can without any restrictions. Um, and and with an injury, when I was you know trying to you know squat, bench press, and deadlift, it it it, it felt like for a, for the last few years of that I couldn't really do it full force. I was always holding back. I was wondering and worried. I was if I was going to be able to walk at the end of that training session, but now. I wake up every day early in the morning and uh, I get some caffeine. Uh, I put in about 20 minutes of, of, of work on whatever I have to do. And then I'm out the door and I'm running and I absolutely love doing it. I, I'm healthy. Uh, um, you know, I don't have any restrictions with it. I can go at it as hard as I possibly can. Um, something to look forward to, something to get excited about. And to me, that's, you know, what's exciting. I love lifting weights and, and powerlifting, but you know, not, not more than other sports or not more than this and just have something to, to get really immersed in, uh, is, is really enjoyable for me. And so I'm thankful to have a coach, uh, to, to help me out with it. Um, I'm thankful to be able to do it and, uh, it's, it's gone quite well so far. So still a lot of progress to be made. You know, we're, we're not exactly, uh, um, you know, uh, uh taking home any titles here with our uh, performances, but it's something enjoyable. So um, that's kind of where we are at the moment. We can always go back in history, but that's that's where we are with it for now. Is that like for you when you do that as well? Is that more about the goals and your objectives that to do with sort of the process side of it? Or do you actually also have, because I know for myself, like when I'm looking at a half marathon or a full marathon, you know, like I, I tried to, we can jump back into this because I don't know if I've actually talked about it on the podcast, but um, you know, I ran a marathon a few years ago and I'm going to be doing another one soon. And obviously in my head, I want to beat that time. Like, is that, is that similar for you? Like, you know, you do one and then the next one you want to get better or are you quite content with finishing them or, cause you mentioned you're training pretty hard. So for me in that, in my mind, that's, he's trying to push it. He wants to, you know, beat his own goals or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm training pretty hard in terms of, uh, you know, I'd have to convert it into kilometers, but in terms of miles, I'm, I'm, I'm doing roughly a little over 90 miles per week oh, um, yeah. in terms of training. Yeah, uh, my last, so it, it's, it's, performance is definitely important. So my, my last marathon was in October. Uh, I ran a, a 316. Um, yep. So I was about 729 mile pace, I think. Um, 
and you know it's not like impressive or, or very good but um you know for being at that point two and a half years into training um it's okay so you know i have some goals i think i'd like to hit um and hopefully we can still progress so i'm realistic in that you know i'm 37 years old and and uh I'm, I'm, you know, have family and those sorts of things. And so I, I realize there's probably only so much uh, progress that we can make. But yeah, like you said, it's important to me to 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 try and progress for myself, to beat the last mm-hmm. time that I did. I'm not concerned about, you know, anybody else or hitting really even certain barriers, but just wanting to get better each time. So just like you said, with the process of it, and I, I try to take the process in anything, whether mm-hmm. it's working on a scientific paper and I want my writing to be better than it was uh, the last time that I wrote that paper and always improving, um, and, and knowing that you're working towards something, you know, the kind of the, everything you do helps you with everything else in life kind of thing. And, uh, so yeah, it is important to me and, and that I put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, but I, I try not to get caught up into thinking, um, I, I understand that I'm pretty, pretty mediocre at it. Um, but it's really just for, for myself, um, and wanting to, to improve and, and, and do that. 316 isn't bad for a, you know, for two years in though, is it really? Like 316, what did I do? So when I did my one a few years back, as I mentioned to you before, it was when I was doing CrossFit and I thought that I'd be able to, you know, smash out a marathon on, I think, three days a week of running. I think I was doing like one fairly short intervals type day, one probably medium short run. I'll probably call it a short run these days to myself. Um, and then one long run, which I basically just built up to like 30, I think it was two or 33 Ks over the course of that block. So 20 miles, I think was sort of the longest run. Um, and I, I vividly remember at, I think it was seven Ks to go. I think it was, um, I was looking down at my quads and the, and the like piece above my knee was cramping up so much that it looked like I didn't have a quad, um, on top of my knee anymore. Like the cramp was just so bad. Um, and I had in that race, I had, um, my brother and I had started it together and I was fitter than him, you know, based on all the training and all that sort of thing. So I'd said goodbye to him at the half marathon mark. And he caught up to me about that same time, (laughs) sees this guy in front of him walking. And it was just like, oh, (laughs) you know, I'd carried him through like a half marathon, you know, like a few weeks prior to training because he hadn't been doing that much. And then on the day he just comes out and, oh didn't think that I thought that was you know I thought that looked like you up there but I wasn't thinking that it was and then he caught me and we, we ended up crossing the line together and it was pretty cool um but for context you know that was a 426 time Mike not a not a 316 so um quite a bit behind you but I mean it's for me it's like hey I want to get that sub four because I haven't done that and I'm aware we you know with a baby due in November um time constraints are going to be put on again soon so for me it's like either I do the marathon now or I wait a few more years um and I I intend to be running then anyway but I'm like hey I'm fairly fit at the moment after this half marathon let's at least just knock that sub four off to start you know maybe Mike's 316s are on the you know long-term horizon goals but uh (laughs) definitely not at the moment um and 90 miles a week is a fair bit more than what I'm doing mate so um that's that's about 150 k's for for the new zealand listeners and people over this uh, that use the use the k's it's about 150 k's a week which is quite a lot of running yeah well i only have one kid and he's seven so i have a considerably more of a window to uh to train than than you do uh i remember what it's like (laughs) at at the moment at the moment but no that's awesome man i i think it's uh 
it's just a super enjoyable activity. I also enjoy the fact that, you know, the one thing I, I, I really started to appreciate is when traveling, um, you know, from, from being a competitive lifter, I would always have to find the right gym and, yeah. you know, travel with my squat shoes and my belt. And then, you know, that takes a lot of time. And is it open early in the morning? So I don't want to disrupt what we're doing as a family, this and this. With running, I can just bring my running shoes or mm. I can even just wear them and the, the, the whole time so I don't have to put anything else in the bag. Wake up in the morning, wherever I'm staying, I can go and, and you know, run and not take up any time. and It doesn't affect anything. It's much simpler. So um, it's just a side note, but that is a super nice feature of uh of that activity as opposed to you know let's say competitive powerlifting if uh, you're planning for you're getting ready for a meet and you're um you know going into the last few weeks and you're traveling you got to kind of piece all that together mm. um, so this is a very nice nice thing to do and i, I enjoy that aspect of it yeah it's definitely very convenient in that sense you can kind of do it anywhere and also if you are traveling it's quite a nice way to kind of see some of the city as well you know rather than going and jumping inside somewhere you do get to kind of have a run around you can you know if there's water around you can go along a waterfront or just see some of the sights while you're out on your feet. I think that's kind of an underappreciated aspect um, as well, or, you know, for people that aren't runners. Um, geez, look at us. We sound like two runners having the running dads podcast, mate, not the stronger dads one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know if some of the fin fitness industry is even going to want to talk to us after this, <laughs> um, you know, but some of, some of our former allies perhaps, but you know, that's all right. We're, we're going to, we're going to live, live long, healthy lives with our healthy hearts and uh, uh, from all this running that we're doing. So we'll be in good shape. Are you doing any um, strength training still at all? Like, do you get in the gym once a week or anything like that? Or how, how's that kind of look for you now? Because obviously to completely just stop it would be quite a different change for the lifestyle. Yeah, I, I am. It's, it's one to two days a week, but it's running specific. So oh, yeah. I am I am fully immersed in the goal of being the best marathon runner that I could possibly be. Um, and so everything is, is running specific. Uh, so there's a lot of explosive work. There's a lot of single leg, uh, uh, single leg joint work um, and uh, uni unilateral training, I should say. And so I'm typically doing that if I have a, a double run, maybe after the second run of the day, uh, you know, I'll go into the gym and, and put in 30, 40 minutes uh, of some running specific stuff, some, some core work, you know, a lot of lower body kind of split squats and, and jump squats and things like that. Um, mm. That's just specific to, to, to marathon training, you know, piecing together the data the best I can uh, in that realm uh, to be able to put together uh, in a program. So one to two days a week there. Uh, I do think that it's beneficial. The data is pretty, pretty strongly in support of improvements in running economy uh, with some explosive resistance training, especially. So yeah, I'm utilizing that. And uh, you know, when I when I started getting into this again, though, it was kind of a, it wasn't just like a one day stop lifting, next day start running, right? So I, I actually, in a previous life from 2007 to 2009, ran five marathons. Ah, um, okay. And then I so played You're not, you're not new college. to this by any means, then. No, I played soccer in college um, all the way through, played on a good club team, and then, then played at, in the, at a university here in the United States. Um, sure, should we jump back to the very start, Mike, and work our way back up through this? Sure. <laughs> well, sure. 
I, I just was sort of thinking there, we're almost talking about what we're going to talk about when we go through the background. So should we just get into that? Should we just, you know, so where, where did you sort of grow up? What was family life like for you when you were younger? And I mean, just you can almost just talk us right through from childhood right through to, you know, what you did in the sporting sense as well growing up and, you know, how you ended up at Florida State teaching. Sure. It's a lot of information about me. I don't know if, if people need to hear a lot, but I'll do. I'll, We're all about <laughs> stories here, Mike, people's stories. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Strap in, uh, strap in everybody. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I was, I was, uh, I'm from, uh, in the United States, I'm, I'm from a state called Maryland. And actually the, the, the easiest way to describe this is uh, just outside of Washington, DC, uh, the capital of the United States. And so, I'm about, I grew up about 10, 15 minutes from the, the Maryland, D.C. Uh, uh, line there, right? So I'm right around that area, uh, kind of closer to the Northeast here in the, in the U.S. And so uh, I'm 37 years old, so I was born in 1985, and uh, growing up, I, I had, uh, you know, a great, a great childhood. Um, uh, my parents live uh, close to me to, to this day, um, and, uh, you know, so I, I grew up there. And as I grew up, I was always into sports. Do you have any brothers and, or sisters, Mark? Uh, I did. I have one brother. Yeah. And uh, I have one brother. And uh, as, as I grew up, I was always into sports, um, played soccer my whole life, and then played through college, but uh, played competitive golf uh, at, a, at a pretty decent uh-huh. level. Um, yeah, played a lot of other sports when I was younger as well, and really anything that I could. Um, mm. My father and I watched sports um on TV essentially every single night. Um, we still, you know, uh, um, text and call and talk about them every day. Uh, we were talking about the, the Gulf US Open uh, over the weekend, watching that, which just finished up. Um, we're big, big hockey fans growing up around DC, Washington Capitals. So if anybody's hockey fans, that's our team. We follow them religiously to this day. So that's a big part of our life. Just grew up uh, and, you know, played sports all through all through school, um, was an, was an okay student. Um, not a, not a great one. Went to, uh, undergraduate, uh, university at a school called Marietta college, which is in Ohio, another state here. It's about four and a half hours away from where I grew up and primarily went up there to play soccer uh, or football as everybody else in the world calls it. We're the only ones that, that don't seem to understand. Uh, but, uh, went up there to play. Uh, played up there for four seasons, graduated with a degree in exercise science. We just just for reference, that, though, we we do actually like we still struggle to call it football. It would have been in the last probably five or ten years that we transitioned from calling it soccer into football. So everyone in New Zealand, at least, would have fully been on board with you calling it soccer if they don't play the sport. Obviously, um, they would have been yeah. fine with that and knew exactly what you meant. So, you you, you know. Okay. All right. You're not that late, that much later. Like you'll change soon and you'll keep up with us. Like it's all right. All right. Well, we're, we're on the way. We're, we're getting there. Well, you know, I, I do currently live about 15 minutes from where Lionel Messi will be playing his home games very soon. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. Yeah. He just signed with Inter Miami. And yeah. uh, so I, I, although I don't know if I'll be able to attend a game because I did look at ticket prices, which are now insane. Um, that would have changed after. recently as well. <laughs> oh man, you could get tickets for U.S. dollars, maybe high up, you know, under under hundred dollars. Um, but now it's a couple couple thousand um, immediately. Awesome. And oh yeah, 
and uh, so I, I I won't be attending uh, 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 you know his his games right away, and I'm, I'm sure they're all sold out already. Um, but yeah, it's 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 huge. And I remember in uh, like 2007 ish when mm-hmm. when Beckham signed with LA, and uh, you know that was a huge deal at the time. But I think this is I think this is way bigger because you're getting a guy who's still you know. I guess, you know, just, I said in his prime the other day and, and one of my buddies jumped all over me, but I mean, he, he, he was just the best player in the world cup and, and yeah. could potentially sell he's the best player in the world. So I, you know, if not his prime real, not, not too far on the downside, he can still, he can still perform. So whereas when mm-hmm. you got Beckham, it was a little bit past that. So um, yeah. I think it's, uh, and just the, the quality of player in, in general is higher. So um yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. But yeah, it's it's right here. It's close to the house here. So hopefully, at some point, ticket prices come down and I can take the kid and, and, and we can go watch. Yeah. Uh, you know, perhaps the greatest player of all time. Yeah. And so it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, so I I went to after I finished in my undergraduate degree, bachelor's of science and exercise science. That was in the uh, December two thousand and six. Uh, I, I finished my degree in three and a half years. And I was a pretty mediocre student. And then I did a master's degree at a school called Salisbury University, which is back in Maryland, uh, kind of on the coast, uh, which Mm -hmm. is a couple hours from where I'm from, uh, by the Atlantic Ocean there. And did that master's degree in about a year and a half. And while I did that, um, I was the graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach at the university. Yeah. And when I entered that, I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I didn't really have any knowledge of powerlifting or, or bodybuilding or anything like that at that point. And this is 2007 when I started, yeah. January of 2007. And at that point, you know, I, you know, played again, played sports, just finished playing soccer. And then I thought about being a head strength and conditioning coach at a university um, with a professional sports team and, mm-hmm. and maybe American football, maybe soccer, maybe baseball, whatever it might be. I didn't necessarily have a preference on, on, on their sport and got into that. And it was a very beneficial time at Salisbury. Um, I had a fantastic mentor. Uh, his name is, is Matt Nine. He ended up being the uh, NSCA, National Strength Conditioning Association's Strength Coach of the Year a few years back. Yeah. Um, just a, a phenomenal person. He's still there. Um, great, great family man as well. He has a few kids and, and he's just, just, a, just a great guy to look up to. Um, but he gave me an opportunity to be the graduate assistant there. But what I learned through that experience was, you know, in addition to taking classes, I was in the weight room with all the teams at Salisbury writing programs for them. And I was there from about, you know, 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m. to about 6, 7 p.m. every day. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing that every day for a year and a half, and when at the collegiate level, the sometimes you get you, you get to make an impact to an extent, but a lot of people are just coming in and they're checking boxes, and you have such limited time with each team that maybe you have forty five minutes to an hour with one team. Mm-hmm. A couple of people show up a little bit late. By the time they get there, you got to do the warm up. Then you're running around as one person to 15 different racks, helping everybody. And it's nice when you get to make an impact. But at the same time, 
you know, sometimes at the higher levels, the, the care level for what you're doing isn't necessarily there. Yeah. Uh, and they just want you to, you know, they want to check that box that, that you exist as a person uh, on paper. And uh, and so, you know, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily want to keep doing that. I also felt like I didn't really know that much. Um, yeah, I just I just was at a very baseline level of, of understanding. And so I decided I wanted to do a Ph.D., um, however, I didn't really know what that meant either. Um, and uh, so I, I went about it a bit differently than I encourage my students to go out about it now. Um, I had enough enough knowledge and, and resourcefulness to contact a lot of different places. Um, but I didn't have any research experience. I couldn't really articulate what I wanted to do. And so I, I was fortunate enough to get on the phone with a lot of folks. Um, yeah. I remember talking on the phone with somebody at the University of Maryland, really, really kind of well-known guy, great guy. I admire his research a lot. And his he was super nice, but his response was kind of like, I, I don't, you don't seem like you really know what you're getting into. Uh, and, and he was right. And so I only applied one place, that was to Florida State, and it worked out. I, I did a PhD for um, one of the best people that I've ever met in my life, uh, uh, Dr. Jong Soo Kim. Uh, was mm. my mentor uh, at Florida State, uh, skeletal muscle physiology, um, and it was just a phenomenal experience. Uh, he he works mostly with animal models, and mm. so uh, I was trained to do some bench science and uh, work with muscle tissue and and in uh, rodents. Uh, but he also really supported my want to do human studies, and uh, so he. He had an interest, a side interest in kind of sports performance and, and things like that. So um, that evolved for me, uh, you know, starting out doing studies related to um, stretching and running performance. Um, I was really interested in concurrent training at the time because I started to transition from, you know, uh, running and soccer into powerlifting and was kind of trying to do everything. So concurrent training became a big interest. Um, and then, uh, you know, Graduated there in, in 2012, and there's certainly a lot more that happened those four years, but in the interest of, of you know, time and, and not going too much longer. And then, uh, you know, started working at, at FAU, uh, uh, Florida Atlantic University, and I've been there over a decade. So did you meet your wife then during that time period? Because you mentioned you've been married for nearly, well, for 10 years, I think you said, might have been prior to the episode, um, and that would line yeah. up with what? just after you started at Florida, Florida Atlantic. Yep. Yeah. No, we, we met, um, our, our 10th wedding anniversary is nine days from the recording of this podcast. So it's June 20th right now as we record and June 29th is our 10th wedding anniversary. We met in August of 2008. Um, uh, just, so, just so you know, this, this podcast will be released on your 10th wedding anniversary based on my, my timeline, I think. As it as it should be, um, as it should be, everybody should celebrate. Um, and uh, you know, we we don't ask for gifts, but if you want to send us gifts, uh, you know, everybody out there will just care of you know, the university. Gonna, like, is that fine? You know? Yeah, we're not going to be rude and send them back. You know? <laughs> yeah. So we we met in August of two thousand and eight. Um, she was also doing her PhD at Florida State. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has her master's in uh, nutrition and dietetics and is a registered dietitian. Um, but she did her PhD in family and child sciences. 
And in the programs, although we were in different uh, programs, we were in the same college um, yeah. at the university. So we had our first class that we had was the statistics class. And uh, we met on the walking on the way to class. And uh, so we met there and uh, and then we got married in 2013. Uh, and, and now uh, we're here. We have uh, one son. He's seven and a half years old. He just finished first grade. Um, going into second grade in the fall, which is uh, crazy to think about. And uh, he's doing great. And my wife is a professor at uh, Florida International University. I'm at Florida Atlantic University. And those universities are about an hour and a half apart. So we live in a town called Davie, Florida, which is just mm. halfway between them. Uh, and so we're, we're right here. And uh, I feel very fortunate to tell you that life is good and uh, family's doing great. But that's the, uh, uh, that's the general story, man. That's that's cool. That's it real always really interesting to kind of hear, especially with people from the States. You guys tend to like um start in one place, go to university somewhere else, and then end up working, you know, <laughs> wherever it might be. It just kind of seems to be like a, a bit of a trend. Um, is that everyone tends to, you know, go interstate and move around and go different places. And I guess that's just the nature of being in a bigger country, right? With different opportunities and different universities to choose from. Whereas um, and I guess that does happen to an extent here as well. I'm probably more of a um, exception to that rule, whereas, you know, I've stayed in this small, we, we call it a city, you'd call it a probably little town or something. Um, and I've been here since I was like 12 or 13. We moved around prior to that with my family, you know, following dad around because um, he was a dairy farmer or managing dairy farms when we were growing up. So we moved around a lot to go to the farms. But I mean, yeah, what we moved probably four hours was about the furthest away that we moved from where we started. Um, but then again, in New Zealand, you wouldn't really be able to move much further than four hours away from any one point um, and stay in the same island. So unless you're moving between islands, you wouldn't be uh, moving further than that. But it's quite, yeah, just quite interesting how that always seems to be the way that like you guys go to university somewhere different to where you grow up. But there's so many options, I guess, over there as well. Like, did you intend to end up go, like living in a different state? And from my perspective as a um, not student or not scholar of US geography, how far away are these places from each other? Like where you studied at uni and then where you work now compared to where you called home growing up? So to, to give you a gauge, um, before we get back into like kind of where I grew up in those places, just just the state of Florida, which is, is quite a large state here in the United States, Florida, Texas, California, these are all pretty large states. Mm. Alaska is, is landmass is huge. Um, just the state of Florida, where I did my PhD studies at Florida State, as opposed to where I work now at Florida Atlantic, they're in the same state. The drive between those is about six and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and so, and you can, you can be farther away. So like if I'm down in the Florida Keys and I were to go, let's say to Panama City, let's say the east, excuse me, west Florida Panhandle. Well, this is an eight-hour drive just in the same state. Um, yeah. And so, so I'll get people that, that friends of mine from, from the D.C. area, they'll, they'll come down to Florida and be in North Florida, and I'm in South Florida. And say, hey, I'm in Florida. You want to get together? I say, where are you? And they'll say <laughs> Tallahassee, which is like where Florida State University is where I was before. And I'll say, I, no, I, do, I don't. I don't want to get together. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd love to get together, but we're not, you're not much closer than you were before. Um, so it's pretty far. If I wanted to drive to where I'm from, from here, which I've done, oh, we're talking, um, 
15, 15 hours. Um, yeah. Something like that. And and then there's still a lot more states north before you get yeah. to Canada. Um, you, you still have a lot, a lot longer to go. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's a long way. And, you know, we ended up, when I finished at Florida State, I, uh, you know, it's kind of, and I know you didn't ask about this, but it's like tangentially related. So stop. That's me. Fine. <laughs> I, I was, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I just needed a job. Like I needed, yeah. I needed a job. I needed to live. And so I applied for every job that like over there's there's websites here like higher ed jobs so every job as an assistant professor that i could possibly find some of them i knew i had no shot at some of them were in super remote places i had never heard of um i didn't care i didn't know if i was a good candidate i didn't know if I was a bad candidate i just needed a job so i applied for every single one and uh, my wife at the time or my uh, we weren't married yet but she was she had finished her phd year before me and she was out at, at Texas, uh, University of Texas a and Kingsville, which is, um, let's say, halfway across the country from Florida. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, can we, you know, we want to get married, but we also want to have, we each want to be, make sure we have our own careers or we're successful, mm -hmm. we're each independently doing well, um, and that sort of thing. Um, so it's very difficult to find uh, two academic jobs in the same place. And so I applied for every job I possibly could. I tried to look where she was and I was offered a considerable number of those. I went on, on the interviews. I think I went on 11 interviews and I was offered 10 of the 11 positions. Wow. Um, it, it was it was well, I'm still annoyed at the one I, I, didn't, I didn't get. And, uh, <laughs> it's always the one. But uh, yeah, it's always it. And, uh, but no, I was super fortunate, and, and that one wasn't, like, I shouldn't have been offered, it wasn't a good fit, I wasn't the right the right person for that. Um, mm. And But the reason I did that is I, I wanted to, you know, find a, a place that would be good for both of us. Maybe we could both get a position there. Maybe I could get a position where she was. But where we live now is, is very close to uh, um, my wife's hometown. Mm. And so... Um, if I couldn't find a position where she was, she said that she would come here because it's where she was from and she had her family mm. here and she had started plans to um, open a dietetics practice because she was a registered dietitian. But it happened to work out perfectly that right when I applied for this position, there was another position open at Florida International where she is now and we both happened to get those jobs and it just was amazing the way it worked out and so we could we could come and move here and, and we just feel so fortunate uh, to mm -hmm. this day to, to be able to do that. So that's a long-winded answer, but the the answer to your question of how close are these places, none of them <laughs> were very were very close. Yeah. Uh, none of them were super close. So, um, But I am also fortunate now that my, my parents have moved down to um, to close to where we live. So they, they live in Boca Raton, which is where our university is. I live about 45 yeah. minutes away from the university. But they live right here, which is amazing, and so I'm able to 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 see them, um, see see them this past weekend, and and uh, spend a lot of time together, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's nice having the family um, close like that. We we don't have that at the moment. I used to have my um, my mum lived here. Dad had moved. Uh, did Dad live here as well? I think they both lived here for a little bit at the start, but we didn't have any kids then. And now that we have kids, we're like, man, it would be so nice to have like 
at least within sort of drop-off distance, um, you know, one set of grandparents or, or visiting distance for them because my um, wife's parents live, what would it be, about a five-hour drive away. Um, and then my dad's about a four-hour drive away and my mum's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive away. So it's kind of like there's no one right here that is family, you know, that you can drop them off or, or that immediate family, um, you know, grandparents and stuff. So I'm a little bit envious of that whenever people tell me that they're relatively close to their their in-laws or their own parents. I'm like, oh, man, that must be super handy at times. Um, and we do have friends that are supportive. I'm not going to, you know, not going to deny that. We, you know, we're, we're lucky in that regard that people will be willing to come and help. But it's a bit different. Um, you know, handing your kid off to to a friend to help you kind of don't feel quite as um, like able to do that, you know, whereas when it's a grandparent, hey, they want to hang out like, you know, you're, right. not, you're not burdening them. They're probably stoked to have that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah it's, yeah, definitely, yeah, it's definitely a different feeling for sure. Yeah. Um. So so when you're doing all this training, uh, we're doing all the study and stuff. Did you end up getting into powerlifting over that time? Because I know like from your history and the research that I've read and things from you, there's there has been a big emphasis on powerlifting type um, measures and models and that in the past. So it's just kind of like, well, probably even in the present, sorry, but you know what I mean? Like it, it's been a theme for you. So how did you transition from being a football player, soccer, just so you remember, um, into a like powerlifter? Cause they're quite different sports. You know, you've got to be, as you mentioned, you were doing the marathon running earlier because back in the day because you know football is quite easy transition into that right it's plenty of running time on your feet so how did you end up getting into powerlifting because it seems like it's a little bit left field compared to your history it is yeah you know i guess the the original ideology of this even though i didn't know what powerlifting was at the time is when i was in uh, eighth grade i started this when i started to lift weights at the school that i mm. went to you had to they play a sport or have an activity every season, um, like fall, winter, and spring. And in the fall, I always played soccer because I was soccer season at school and I played on club team outside of school as well. Mm. Uh, and then in the spring, I always played uh, on, on in, high, in, in middle school, I played tennis, but in high school, I, I played on the golf team. Um, and then in the winter, in eighth grade, you were, they, it was the first age where you could do the, I don't know what, they, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like a, 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 you could sign up for weight training essentially. Yeah. And uh, so I did that. And how uh, old is eight? Buddy of mine. Um, I was th 13. Yeah. 13. I was, yeah, right about there. And uh, so, you know, there was uh, the, f the first year that we, we did it. I remember there was just a teacher that was in there as a nice guy, but he doesn't know anything about lifting weights. Right. And he just kind of sits there while you go do your thing. And, my buddy and I, we didn't have any idea what we were doing, um, but we just did um, every single day. We did bench press. Um, every single day we did leg press. And every single day we did this rowing machine because yeah. we were 13 and we didn't know anything. And um, that's just what we did. But uh, I remember. It's not too getting... bad in a program. <laughs> no, you most gotta, of your bases. You gotta, yeah, you got to push, you got to pull, you got legs. You're, you're doing fine. Yeah. And uh, I remember we got, you know, pretty strong for, for you know, 13 year olds. And and I just loved it and um, mm. kept doing it. And then in, in the year after that, I had one of the biggest influences, a, a guy named uh, Billy Miller, Coach Miller, um, who was a CSCS guy um, for NSCA, mm. CSCS, but just happened to work at the high school, one of the football coaches. And 
and then later on, he and I would train together um, when I got older, and, and he really kind of helped mentor me through that. And I just loved to lift weights. So even while I was playing soccer, I was training with lifting in a way that I, I almost certainly shouldn't have been to be the yeah. best soccer player that I could be. Um, it didn't really know that at the time. Uh, I was just getting bigger and stronger and getting older and, and you know getting better at soccer too, but mm-hmm. it was great. Um, and actually ended up, I left this out of the story at the first part, but uh, ended up being, after Coach Miller left, I actually ended up being the strength coach at the high school for a little bit as well. Ah, uh, um, okay. Yeah, and, uh, but anyways, he was a phenomenal guy um, and phenomenal mentor to have at that time. And so then I, I just kept doing it, kept training through college, um, would be lifting weights, you know, during the season, after practice, would be in the off-season lifting weights, again, probably too much for, for what I needed to do. Um, and then when I was running those early marathons, I was also, um, lifting weights. I wasn't focused on the marathon at all. I actually didn't really train for them. You know, the, the first one that I ran, um, this is true. This is a true story. Uh, March, 2017, it was the national marathon in, in DC. I was home from my master's on spring break, staying with my parents. It was a Friday night, and we had had some some weights in the uh, in the basement, and I was I was lifting. I, this is a couple months after my final soccer season in college, and so I hadn't really been running or training at all. I, I was front squatting in the basement. Um, finished that, I don't know, six o'clock. Come upstairs, sit down, uh, um, hanging out with my dad, and we're just watching just watching the news, whatever's on TV. And uh, they're like, tomorrow morning in downtown D.C., streets will be closed off for the, the national marathon. And my dad goes, um, do you think you can finish that? And uh, to, to, keep in, to give some context to my response, in college, I wasn't like a, a good runner for a runner. I was a good runner for an, a soccer player at this level, which is that in the, the, um, we had a two-mile run. I did that in 1051. Um, I did a, 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 mile, a, a mile on the track in 509, mm. um, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of like that. I was doing repeat 400s and, and like right about 66, like 62, 63. Like I, I was, I was doing well. So when he said, do you think you can finish that? I'm like, uh, old man, I can run a mile in five minutes, maybe a little <laughs> bit under. Yeah, I can finish. And he goes... I don't think you can. I don't think you have any idea what that's like. This is a completely different thing. Had he run any then on TV? No, but he was a great athlete. He played college sports. He went to Colgate University here. Um, I played soccer and baseball. Played football in high school. He's a great athlete. And yeah. um, I mean, not not better than me. I crush him and everything. But he's okay. <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, so. They, then they say on television, they say, you can still come down to the D.C. Armory to sign up tonight um, until 9 o'clock. And he's like, I don't think you can finish that. I said, let's go. <laughs> so we go get on, on like the train, what we call the metro, but like the train. And we go down and we sign up. And so the next morning, he's like, I want to take you. I want to see this. And so he drops me off. And it's, it starts at 7 a.m. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, what time should I pick you up? And I'm thinking like, again. I've, I've never run longer than like five miles in my life or whatever, but I'm like, I can run a mile in five minutes, maybe a little bit less. I don't know. I'll just jog this thing in like seven minute pace or something like that. I don't know. 
And I'm like, I don't know. Come on, old man. Pick me up at like 10. And uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about this. Let's just say I start at seven, four hours and 48 minutes later, I crawl across the finish line. And my dad goes, he goes, I knew you were in trouble when I saw like 70 year old people finishing <laughs> like way before you. I was like, I knew this, this wasn't going well for you. And, um, but uh, I, uh, so anyways, I was, I was sore from front squatting and, and, and did that. So, um, <laughs> that's know, not a bad effect, with, to be fair. <laughs> at that point in my life, you know, I, my, on mile 17, if you, I really think I would have left if somebody came with a car and said, look, like that was, I was so unprepared. I've never been more unprepared for anything than that 2007 run. I had no business. That's a great story though. <laughs> I had no business being out there, but I, somehow we, we finished, uh, I got that done. And so, but yeah, lifting was always part. And then I remember being at the ACSM conference in 2009. This is May, 2009. And um, I was getting pretty strong, like, so I'm, I'm now like almost a year into my PhD and really starting to study muscle physiology, really starting to lift weights, you know, more in a powerlifting specific manner, starting to squat a bit more, starting to deadlift a little bit, met a couple people that were kind of into it. In my master's, I, I met a guy named Mike Hedleski, who was, um, ended up winning the gold medal in the deadlift at, at uh, IPF mm. Raw Worlds one year. He was my first introduction to powerlifting. Great guy. Um, I actually did my first powerlifting. He was a, a bench-only equipped meet, and Mike helped mm. me uh, a great deal uh, with that. Ran a marathon that same week, actually. And um, uh, Mike, Mike was my introduction. He he met me at the gym, helped me put on my bench shirt at like 3:30 in the morning. Like just a great dude. And um, and so then at that ACSM conference in 2009, all that meeting, meeting Mike and meeting these other people, and getting into powerlifting and, and starting to research it as part of my PhD. I remember running on the treadmill, just thinking like, I gotta, I gotta decide if I want to try to be good at something. Mm -hmm. um, and in that moment, I just, I don't know why, but I got off that run and I said, I'm done. I'm just gonna focus on powerlifting. I'm gonna, uh, you know, as I learned about concurrent training at the time, I saw the heavy dosage of, of running and, and the impact that could have on lifting. And I said, I'm gonna focus on this. And um, then there was a lot of, you know, the research went into that. With a couple other guys, we we started the, the weightlifting club, which was really the powerlifting team at Florida State University. Um, ended up coaching them, uh, competing with them, working with my buddy Jordan Burke, who who um, is, is is a very successful lifter on that team. And uh, so that's kind of you know kind of how I got into it. All of those things together, um, and then went into to powerlifting, and and it's what I started to really enjoy studying too. So. You know, we, we started looking at that in, in our lab. That's cool. Yeah, I, I had no idea of that history. And it, I, I, I still just, that marathon story is cracking me up. Um, I had a cousin that did something similar. So he was one of my students back when I was teaching um, at UCO here. And I remember he came in like hobbling um, to the first week of course. And I was just like real confused as to what was going on. And I knew he, he was a good, you know, he was a Harrier. He was a good, he was a really good runner. So for him, it was probably something he could, you know, jump in and do because he had that background, but I don't think he'd been training with running consistently. And it was the same sort of thing. His wasn't the day before. I don't think, I think his was like the week before, cause his dad was going to be doing the marathon walking it. 
And I think he was like, oh, I'm at home. I might as well just jump in. And so he ran a half marathon, I think, on the Wednesday just to check he could actually run for long enough. Um, and then ran this marathon, I think it was on the Sunday or something like that. And I remember just, yeah, it was like a good week or so because he was not conditioned for that at all. <laughs> he was just hobbling around. He couldn't volunteer for any of the labs week one. And he was normally always in there just because he was so sore. Um, but your story was very, very similar to that. I was thinking of his one um, as you were talking about that. Um, yeah. So with with the powerlifting stuff, were you doing that sort of training and that type of stuff when your son arrived? Like, what did your training look like around that time um, when when he was born, and how did that kind of influence how you approached your training and what you did in your training? Like, was there anything that had to change during that time period? Uh, yeah, that was 2015. He was born November 8th, 2015. Same same birthday as uh, my father, actually. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I was doing powerlifting training at that time. Uh, the last meet that I competed in, I believe, was in 2013. Yeah. And and uh, so I did um, intend to keep competing after that. My back injury did kind of preclude me from that a little bit. But um, when my son Zachary was born in 2015, I was still very much, um, you know, training for powerlifting. And uh, I actually remember at that time I was in a pretty good spot. I was feeling pretty strong. And, you know, so I guess the, the general response there is if we, if we think to that first year or so, um, certainly time obviously became more limited. Right. So mm -hmm. whereas before I was super fortunate to have a garage with a squat rack and a mat to deadlift and things in need and had a laboratory at the university, which had everything that I could ever want to train. And so I could go in and collect data, work with the students, and then we could take three hours and lift weights. Yeah. You know, and those sessions become long because you're, you're hanging out, you're chatting, whatever. Um, and you could you could do you know whatever you wanted but that you know for most days of the week that kind of goes out the window um, yeah you know when you have when you have a kid and you know my wife and I we again I think we're super fortunate in this regard where we we kind of split everything 50 50 but not not in a way of like hey you do this and you do this or this is this just whatever needs to be done whoever is available does it and so yeah. at that time, we both being professors have flexible schedules too. And so um, I was a little bit farther along toward tenure than she was um, uh, just because she started at her university after me. And so at that time, I had put, I remember putting myself in a position, this will get to the training, about a year before that where I, we knew we wanted to have a kid. And so I really worked far ahead on researching papers and having things in position. So once we had Zachary, I could essentially, you know, stay home. Mm. And I was able to do that. Um, my wife had needing another year or so to really get some stuff out for tenure. I was able to really, um, all right, say, you you know, I still needed to go in uh, maybe once a week. Uh, but there were some weeks where I didn't go in at all. And uh, she could go in three days a week and, and get her work done. And, uh, you know, I could be there with, with, with Zach. And then there were times where, hey, I needed to go to a meeting or I needed to do something and she could do that. Um, but on those days, um, it was, you know, then that would be, okay, I need to train early in the morning, um, you know, before uh, my wife would leave. And so I could get training done um, yeah. and then spend the day, you know, then spend the day with Zach. And, and so that tends to eat into the time a little bit. So 
uh, training wise, um, you know, I would have to, and, and just generally fewer training days per week uh, were possible. And so I would need to implement things like certain supersets to save time to get everything in. A lot more work of, let's say I'm going to work up to a top set to be able to maintain strength a little bit and then try and use some drop set, rest, pause set techniques to get a little bit more volume in and kind of a time efficient manner after working up to the top set kind of deal um, to be able to maintain strength. And it, it was able to work pretty well and do it pretty well. You know, there's a lot of downstream effects that I'm, I'm sure you know all too well of you know, let's say if there's, you know, a lack of sleep or fatigue and, and things that you need to do to be able to adjust for, for training and so forth. But um, fortunately, uh, you know, there's, we, we just have one kid and there's two of us. And yeah. so, um, you know, and with flexible schedules, um, on, there were some days where, you know, we were, were both home. And when that was the case, okay. I got him right now. You go and, and, you know, train for an hour or two. And we're both super, you know, the thing that we have is my wife and I are both super supportive of each other's goals. And yeah. so if there's something like that, that's important to us, which I think is huge. You know, I remember, uh, I think when he came home, when Zachary came home from the hospital, he was, he was, uh, he was jaundiced. And so, uh, he, they sent us home, which, you know, he has, he has high billion ribbon. And so they sent us home with this blue kind of a light blanket. And, and I'm, I don't know, Hayden, if, if, if you had this, but it's not uncommon. So I'm sure somebody mm. listening to this has, has, has had this. And so he was home for a few days um, and then it actually didn't work. So we had to go to the children's hospital for, for about a week. Um, and, uh, but they sent us home with this blue blanket. And I remember just sitting there with him all day with this blanket. And it was like maybe this third or fourth day. And I remember my wife, we're both home. She looks at me, she goes, you should go lift weights. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I hadn't even thought about it. Like, yeah. Do I want to lift weights? Of course. But <laughs> I, I was like, I honestly hadn't thought about it. Cause I was like, I'm just not going to train this next week. Like there's, I got it. I obviously no, no big deal. And she was like, no, this isn't, I, I know this is something that you work hard at. We're both here. You should take an hour and go do that. Yeah. And so it was amazing. And so I went and I did that. Um, felt okay and then you know obviously there there was things that she needed to do and I was like no I got this like you go do you go do your thing um mm -hmm. and so I feel super fortunate in that you know I, I've given some long-winded answers here today but I feel super fortunate in that yes training did have to be altered um but you know our family structure is such that I think I was able to 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 still maintain for the most part um yeah what I was doing and I feel very, very fortunate about that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And I think having that supportive partner in that situation is pretty pretty key. Like if you're gonna be keeping on trying to, as you said, maintain, like and I think that's that's a realistic part of that sort of situation, right? Is chances of you making progress and getting PRs over that first sort of six months to a year. Um, probably not gonna happen. I mean, some people may be able to do that, but um, I don't imagine it's the common occurrence anyway in that situation. Um, but that supportive, you know, having a supportive partner that's willing to let you go and take some of that time. I remember when Sash was in the, um, like we went to the birthing place after. So we went, we were at the hospital and then we went across to what they call, I can't remember what, birthing center, I think they call it. But essentially like it's like a five-star hotel, except there's midwives essentially is the way that it was. And we were fortunate enough that, 
the way that it worked with our health system then, you could go there after one day in the hospital to kind of free up a hospital bed and they didn't charge you for it. I think they do now. Um, so we went there and I remember just one day we were sitting there, Harvey was asleep and Sasha's mum was there, I think. And I'm like, do you mind if I go to the gym? <laughs> you know, and this was, Harvey was only a few days old. And so I, I shot off for a while. And but I mean, there was all the support there and it was kind of like, well, it would be nice to see the inside of some other four walls than just these ones. Um, and yeah, you know, she was really supportive of that. And Sasha's always been supportive of whatever my weird, crazy fitness strength goals have been over the last 13 years. So um, I definitely understand, or even even things like this, right? Getting up in the morning to do a podcast and she's taking the heavy lifting of looking after Harvey and our new puppy as well. So. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but yes, I'm keen I'm to jump into um, a little bit of your morning stuff, because I know that you mentioned that you do the majority of your running in the morning. And if you're running 150 Ks a week, um, those are likely some long sessions. You know, there's a few a few that are probably in the in the realm of two to three hours, I would say, um, amongst that. And you said something at the start about getting up. I believe the time that you said was three um, or three thirty. So. Tell us a little bit about how you fit that training in now around everything, because yeah, you're doing a lot of K's. That's a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I wake up at, at three 30 every day. Um, right on, right on the dock, actually three twenty nine Cause I'm a super weird person and I set the alarm for three twenty nine. but yeah, every day I'll wake up then. And you know, the, the, the primary re there's a, a few reasons for this one. Um, and I never thought about this too much and this is unrelated to family. I never thought about this too much with lifting, but with, with running the weather is quite important yeah and in where i live it's a hot climate mm -hmm. um so let's say in in terms of fahrenheit right now um you know during the afternoon in florida it's over 90 degrees which so in the mid is that mid 30s um i'm just doing Celsius. a calculation now Okay. Yeah, 32 degrees. Yep. So pretty warm. Yeah, 32 degrees. Yep. Yeah. So that's very hot to run in. So um, even in the early morning in where I am now, it's, you know, 79, 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 100% humidity, um, which is still <laughs> that would be the killer too. From, from that humidity. Yeah. And so from a, from a Fahrenheit perspective, um, ideal running is, a, let's say, around 50 degrees. Um, and so, you know, one of the reasons early is because doing it early is, is just going to be the best time, especially for where I live. There are other climates in the United States, but they're far more north. We're pretty far south here, mm. uh, you know, where you can do it a bit later. But uh, the other reason is just, you know, I want to, one, I'm, I've always been a morning person. So I like getting up in the morning. I like doing that. I feel great doing it. I feel super energetic for the day. Um, and I like having it done and I don't have to sit there and think about it all day. I don't want to eat too much cause I got to run, you know, all these miles later and so forth. Um, so I can get that done. But the other is, you know, we have a pretty good routine with our son in the morning and I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss anything. I want to be present for everything. I want to be able to help him with what I can. I want to be there for my wife as well. Um, mm. so like on the weekends, let's say we'll have, you know, family stuff he'll have a soccer game or a basketball game or a, a swim meet or whatever whatever you know the kids have right um which kind of expose them to everything see what he likes and and, and we do all that um and so i'm not going to miss that so mm. i'm going to wake up early and get that done um and i don't want to do it at night after that 
um, be exhausted from the whole day and again want to spend time with the family at, you know winding down at night so in during the school year um, our son will he'll we leave for school about 7 30 or so but he'll wake up at six um, yeah. and when he wakes up at six he he, uh, he plays the piano and so like he'll have piano practice and then at home we do some other school like he does reading and then I, I teach him math every morning and um, and so if I can start running by four o'clock um, I can be done right at six and then I, I can shower eat breakfast my wife does piano with him and then I do the reading and math and so I'm done be ready to that I can take him to school every day um, and then during the day I can, you know, I can work or in the summertime like now it's summer so he's home he's not mm -hmm. at school and so I can spend time with him all day um, spend time with the family all day and so for, for me it's just a way to get that done and it doesn't interfere with everything else um, and so yeah, it's, it's, it's a decent amount of miles um, typically most runs are like 12-ish miles um, so about now, some days 18 Ks, again, just translating 18K, for people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The longer runs, I guess, are uh, on the weekends, maybe about 30 Ks, about 18 miles or so. Yeah. Um, and then some, there's usually one workout mixed in, so like one interval day where I'll be, I'll say maybe there's there's running like maybe 4 K and then running, um, you know, intervals of some kind, maybe like five reps of five minutes hard with, you know, one to two minutes of jogging mm. in between and then another 4K at the end of it, something like that. Is, is the majority of your training easy runs, like zone two stuff, and you've got a couple of like yeah. workouts each week? Is that how it tends to work or does your structure look a bit different to that? Yeah, no, it, it's it's almost a, a spot on for what it is. So um, my coach, her name is Sarah Mahoney. She's uh, one of our closest friends uh, as a mm -hmm. family and uh, – she is a department chair of exercise science at Bellarmine University, which is another university here in the United States, and um, an excellent endurance runner. And so she has me training Monday through, excuse me, uh, Tuesday through Sunday. Monday is yeah. my uh, my off day, uh, which is why I said to you I, I would have picked a 4 a.m. time if it was on Monday. Um, uh, but Tuesday through Sunday. And so typically, uh, Tuesday I'll have a like a, a mid-duration easy run, let's say 12 miles in the morning. And then mm -hmm. I'll do about four to five in the afternoon. So I'm going to go out for a, another one here later today. Um, Wednesday is usually a workout, um, one of those interval sessions, um, mm -hmm. maybe a, a double, maybe afternoon running. Thursday is usually about 12 miles, uh, maybe a double. Friday, again, about 12 miles, maybe a double. Saturday is long, somewhere between 16 and 20. Uh, miles sometimes um, like some some moderate to hard running mixed in either at the end or in the middle and then uh, some of it's easy and then yeah. Sunday maybe about 12 easy so most of it easy one workout and then a long run with some faster paces mixed in. so yeah 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 so I don't know if that's pretty similar to what you're doing or or what you've seen on a on a larger scale in terms of kilometers probably quite similar in terms of like the I'd say the approach organization. Yeah, yeah. Like I tend to have, um, well, how, how it's been working, you know, with the half is like, I tend to do five days at the moment of running. Cause I'm trying to fit in 
some lifting still I, I say that you know optimistically but it normally there's at least one proper lifting session with heavy deadlifts and stuff which has typically fallen the day before my longer run or um which you know may have pace built into it as well like half marathon pace stuff um and then i've got three of those other days are generally just about sort of 5k so three mile type distance um, maybe a little bit longer on one of those might get up to sort of six miles um, as like a medium medium long run day and then there'll, there'll be the interval one or a you know like slightly higher intensity day or a workout day you know cause that's funny isn't it like when with the running way of describing it like your easy runs you just call runs like they're not anything special yeah, right. and you have these other ones what you term like a workout you know like so the sunday and yeah. sort of wednesday or midweek would be my workout days and then all the others would be easy um two of those quite short about three miles one of those maybe up to 10 to 12 k's is what it was sort of sitting at and then that longer one would either be just fully easy or the closer i get to you know the event essentially it becomes there's built-in pace efforts um through throughout that so that's kind of been how mine mine has looked so kind of a similar type of structure and approach yeah. but obviously on a different different scale because of the distance and where i'm at with my stuff as well um yeah but it's, it's really counterintuitive eh? that's what i've found when i think of like when what i thought endurance training and running would be like it is quite different like i i didn't realize that most of your runs are kind of easy jogs um i always had in my head you know people were sending it but then when you think of it from a resistance training perspective as well like the majority of your work isn't at an rpe 9 or 10 you know like the majority of your work is sort of six seven to eight type rpe or, or generally tends to be you know when you're doing multiple sets because it's just not feasible to push to 10 every single time um yeah, for every, for every single that. exercise so it's kind of a similar type of yeah. thing like just mod moderating that intensity because there's harder days easier days and it's the same sort of thing just a different different approach yeah it, it, it's you're right it's just not feasible the, the interesting thing is it's so it's, it's a lot of volume um and to the, the i think i think lifters that i've spoken to about that you know i try to relay this to they may not necessarily see because they haven't been involved in endurance training is that for the easy runs for anybody listening that isn't into running you, you really have no care level what pace that's at. And that pace can fluctuate widely. Or you should have, um, like, you should have no care level. Right. You should have <laughs> no care level. That's part of the level, challenge. Right? <laughs> the, da the danger is doing it too fast, um, mm -hmm. is looking at your watch and thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a bit slow today for this. It, it does not matter. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's putting that, that volume in. And, and running too fast can sometimes be a detriment. If you're feeling terrible after a workout or, or a hard day the day before, and you're going out and, you know, you're, you're running, uh, uh, you know, 10 minute mile paces or, 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 or slower, who, who cares? Um, you know, that's, that, that just doesn't matter. And some days you may be running two minutes faster than that on an easy day and, and it's super easy. Like it just isn't. And so while we auto-regulate in, in lifting and, you know, you might say, hey, I'm going to do a, a squat 150 kilograms, you know, for eight reps and that was made RPE and then, the next time I could only do, I didn't feel good. I did 147 and a half for eight reps at an eight RP. That's a pretty minimal difference. Um, mm. Whereas, you know, your easy pace may fluctuate, at least for someone like myself, easy pace may fluctuate from like high sevens to minutes per mile to mid 10 minutes per mile. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you have no, it just doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, it's interesting 
when you go out there, but that's because you're doing it so much. So if you're lifting, think about if you're squatting, like, you know, squatting every day, which most people don't do. But even when I did that, it was to a max. It wasn't for volume. You're mm -hmm. not going in there and doing, you know, a bunch of sets of 10 at 70% every day. Could you get to the point where you can recover from that and do it? Maybe. Would that be beneficial? I don't know. Um, you know, and so this is different. Whereas if you're running, you know, uh, uh, you know, 15 kilometers, 16 kilometers, you know, whatever it is each day, um, you can't do that at, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a, a hard pace each day. And it's, it's going to be counterintuitive to what you're trying to accomplish. But the thought is to build a huge aerobic pace base, put in a lot of miles and then, you know, take advantage of that, um, you know, when, the, when the time comes. So it's, it's, uh, you know, for lifting, think about squatting, benching, deadlifting every single day, but not just every single day, because you can do that every day, right? You could, you could squat, you know, for, you know, uh, uh, eight reps, five sets of eight reps to a two RIR one day, and then go in the next day and squat at 30% of one RM for five reps just to do recovery. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like, so when somebody says you, you, how many days a week or, or can you do this many days a week? It's, well, of course, you just have to structure it um, you know, in a certain way, but if you're doing a lot of volume, um, could you do volume to even a, a, on the same exercise to a three RIR every single day, especially the main lifts? No way. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I, I guess you could, but I don't know if it's advisable, but with running, you're running every single day. And so the, the intensity of the run isn't, isn't too high. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I was thinking there is you must have quite a big burden on your washing machine, given that you're sometimes doing two <laughs> a days. Like <laughs> there must be quite a lot of dirty um, running gear that's put through that washing machine because that's you know every time that you do a run, like you sweat and it's dirty and it has to be washed. Like it's not something you can reuse. You know, like it's not like a pair of lifting shorts. If you just did some squats, you can you know potentially reuse those because you didn't sweat because it was cold or something in the garage like that doesn't happen with running <laughs> I, I did get uh a considerable amount of running shorts and, and socks last christmas uh, <laughs> and uh i'm sure that was around one of the reasons why without it being stated 100 <laughs> percent. Um, i'm just getting near the end of that time that i thought i would probably have before i, I might need to be a little bit useful i might have even passed my useful time zone but um <laughs> around the home this morning but we'll see um was there anything you wanted to add before you got into those final three questions mike it's been awesome to have you on it's been great to be here like i said i was uh, enjoying chatting about this stuff it's 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 really i think hayden i, I think what you're doing is really cool um mm -hmm. to have uh you know to have your fathers on and, and 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 people on that can discuss this because you know, like I said before I came on, once I was alerted of the podcast, I, I listened to some of the episodes and I'm going to keep listening because it's great to, yeah, it, it, it's really cool to be able to learn from, you know, other people that are going through what, what you're going through, or what you mm. went through. Um, you know, the question regarding, you know, like how did training need to change when, when you know, your son was born? Well, people have kids and, and I think it's hugely beneficial to hear from others, you know, how they're dealing with that and, and uh you know, how they're dealing with, you know, anything else that may come up and, and, and probably indirectly provides the rest of us a network to yeah. be able to reach out to, hey, man, I, I heard you, uh, you know, talking about this. I would love to get your advice. So, you know, um, just just really great to uh, to be here and I appreciate um, the opportunity and I think what you're doing is super cool. 
Appreciate that. I mean, that that was the idea, right, with the word collective in there. Before it started, obviously, it was just me. Um, but I figured, you know, chuck the word collective in there. And the idea is we bring a collective of dads and, you know, people who can support us together to kind of try and help each other out. In there. And that's that's the long-term sort of goal with it, right, is that, as you say, that people know there's people they might be able to link up with or talk to or even just having this as a collective of voices that you can come to, you know, and and, and learn from and pick up stuff from. Because I think, you know, stories and people's experiences uh, are pretty key to making sure that you're not you know you know you're not the only one going through this but also to know that you can still do some of these things um, and you know oftentimes this is probably a period of life where people stop training completely right but um, if you can keep going through and you can find a way to make it manageable and it might look different but that's cool um, it is what it is right and you can you know you've seen other people's examples now so that's I think one of the things I love about it it is, it is and, and I guess one thing to add, it just came to me when you were saying that, is, is really just the mental aspect of training. Like, it, it just, if, if training is something that makes you feel good, makes you feel mm-hmm. motivated, and, and I think can really be uh, really synergistic and, and additive to being a good parent, if, if that's something that, you know, not, not that every single person in the world, but, but those of us that are, are are in this field and that are doing this, if it's something that is, is a part of what you're doing, just as maybe if, you know, uh, um, if you're an artist and, and doing art is something that's a part of what makes you feel good, you want to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, training is something that makes me feel good and, and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast. So I think it's important um, to, to continue to keep up those things and it might help you in those other aspects of life. I know I feel great for the rest of the day after I train, um, whereas if I didn't, you know, uh, it, it would be something that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily have. And I, I think, you know, just mentally, it, it makes me feel great. So um, it, it's something that I think if, even if you change, okay, eh, I'm not interested in being competitive anymore. I don't have time for this or this might, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean that, you know, you have to stop training altogether. It doesn't mean training couldn't just look a little bit different. And besides, just exercise in itself is just so powerful from a health 100%. perspective. Um, mm-hmm. all types of exercise. And so I think as you get into parenthood and, and, and you, you, you get, you know, move on a little bit in life, that, that becomes, you know, really some of the primary reasons that, that you're, you're going after. And so just from a mental perspective, I think um, continuing to keep up some sort of training, at least, at least for me, uh, was a huge deal. And so I imagine it, it, it may be for others as well. That, that leads us perfectly into the uh, first question of the final three. Mike, which is um, one key parenting tip or word of advice for new dads. Don't know if that's just what you've given, but <laughs> if there was anything that you had in mind for that question. You know, and I think I think this is it could go for a, a lot of things, but to to be be patient and structure understand that you may have a plan for the day but that plan may not work out at all as you expected it to uh, when you went to sleep or you tried to go to sleep I should say the night before <laughs> and and but be okay with that you know yeah. it's it's easy to get frustrated and I'm not immune to frustration mm-hmm. and I wasn't immune to frustration when you know, my son was born in, in that first year and, and, and so forth. But understand that, hey, um, things may be different today. I may have to move that training time. I may not get to train. You know, uh, he 
he may, uh, um, you know, your son or daughter, you know, they may, you know, get uh, unexpectedly a, a cut on their finger and you have to attend to that and that takes up this or, you know, you may have to get a call from work and you may have to go on a meeting while your, your, your kid is there and you have to find a way to make them not know that your son is there crying and you're taking care of them while you're also like, that's, that's how that goes and stay patient and stay calm and you'll feel much better about, and you'll, you'll comp, you'll, you'll be better at those tasks. Yeah. Um, you'll be able to do them rather than, you know, going in and, and then just always, if, you know, if, if you're, if you have a partner, always be, you know, willing to, to help them. Um, in, in anything, because they're going to be willing to help you. And, and so just that patience and, and trying to stay calm, easier said than done. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, think, things won't go the way that, that you plan. And just, just be ready for that. Yeah, I think that's, that's a wise one. Definitely have, uh, you know, a few memories that uh, are in that. And I'm sure when this next one comes along, there's going to be the same stuff again, just on different scale. Um, second one there is... The most helpful new habit that you've implemented within the past year it doesn't have to be training or parenting related but a new habit or something new that you've chucked into your routine that's been really helpful the most the most helpful thing i guess it's a little longer than a year but it's, it's been waking up really early in the morning yeah um and so that goes a little bit that goes back a little bit longer than a year mm-hmm. but um Waking up early in the early in the morning has been huge for my life in so many ways. But to get something in the past year, it's been to bring up bring my computer and set up a workstation while I'm sitting in the carpool pickup line at school, um, because that line you sit there for about an hour, and so um, uh, so most of the time when I'm responding to emails and, and working on papers, I'm. This past year, I'm sitting in the first grade carpool pickup line, um, uh, you know, just hanging out, you know, typing on my computer, working on things, taking meetings, doing phone calls. And make, so making that time, essentially, as any any time like that, as productive as I can make it. So that yeah. way, when school is over and it's Friday night and we're having, you know, family movie night and we're, we're, you know, kids getting a little bit older now, so we can actually watch cool movies now. Like we watched the mighty ducks this year. Uh, we watched some, we watched some cool movies. Um, but you can be present for that. You can do mm-hmm. that because you're not so stressed about, Hey, I have to get this done. You know, yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a little bit of a drive today, I scheduled a phone meeting during that time. I was in the carpool pickup line. I had to finish this, this paper for one of my students. I finished it then rather than looking at that as pickup time. I look at that as work time and sometimes even get there a little bit early. So that way I can, I can get stuff done. So that's been super beneficial this past year. It's good. That's good. Multitasking in a way or, or making the most of downtime essentially, isn't it really? Um, which yeah, is wise because sure. <laughs> easy to sit there and do nothing of use. Um, and then the last right. one, um, a book or podcast recommendation or and or you can give me both if there's both. Um, yeah, I tend to not. So most of the books I've read have been um, in my in my. I don't want to say spare time because I don't know there's a lot of that, but about 15, 14, 15 years ago, I got really into to studying economics, mm. and uh, so I read a lot of economic textbooks from from old. Um, uh, from from old economists um, that are no longer alive, um, mm. and so I would I would do that quite a bit. So um, I have a few of those. I don't know if those are of interest in terms of 
in terms of in terms of podcasts, um, I don't I don't listen to to too many. Um, mm. It's more of if I see uh, or hear about someone who is on a podcast that I really want to hear from, I was yeah. like, oh, I'll tune into that. And sometimes yeah, it's been this yeah. podcast, and sometimes it's not. And I'll say, oh, oh, this this guy was on there. He's really cool. Or oh, she was on there. I want to I want to check that out. Um, or just one of my uh, somebody, a friend of mine, uh, mm-hmm. is appearing on someone, and I'm like, oh, I'm really glad that he got an opportunity. I'll check that out. So I'm actually not not a big podcast guy. Um, and then I have some some super old um, kind of economic uh, textbooks looking at different theories that I, I I've, I've uh, read over the years. So I don't know if that's the some of that's probably coming in handy. Um, for the mindset at the moment, given that we're going through an interesting economic time and, you know, it all sort of comes, you know, swings and roundabouts, doesn't it? So there's probably some indeed. stuff you're like, oh, indeed. I remember them talking about this type of thing happening. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I read, I read a lot of them when I was, uh, <clears throat> actually, when I, I mentioned to you before that I went on a, a lot of different job interviews when I was finishing Florida State, so, which meant a lot of airplanes. Um, mm. And so uh, a lot of those books got read then. Um, uh, and then in addition to some dissertation writing on there. So yeah, a lot of those old books, but in terms of podcasts, I'm more of a, somebody who's going to follow, um, uh, hear about a specific person and think, oh, I, I, I really want to listen to that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll go check out that person regardless of the, of the podcast. But obviously, stronger dads. <laughs> hey, it's good to be recommended on my own podcast, man. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, Mike, I should probably uh, go and be a little bit more helpful. I may, I may have missed that boat of being helpful, so I uh, apologise in advance to Sash. Uh, <laughs> but thanks so much for your time. It's been awesome to have you on and yarn a bit more and learn a bit about your story. It's yeah, it's always interesting to learn the other side, you know, of people that you might have followed as, you know, like a, a researcher or something, and actually hear about who they are as a person. So I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Uh, same to you. I followed your work, so it's really a pleasure to, to get to talk and, and meet you here. And again, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you gained anything of value, please go ahead and share this episode with someone else that you think may benefit from its content. Also, feel free to follow me on Instagram at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. That's at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. We'll see you on the next one.